That's already at the beginning of our theme song, but I figured I'd do a shitty impression of it off the top as well. I don't know if you're ready. Are you sitting down? It's episode number two of the POD cast, your new favorite podcast about new metal, where two guys who cannot give the genre up are going to review a classic new metal album every month. Uh, this month, we're going to be reviewing Korn's self-titled album, Corn. And with me, I'm John Cullen. And with me to do that is a man who will knick-knack, paddywhack, give a dog a bone. It's Brian Quinby. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to knick-knack, paddywhack, give a dog a bone. No? I refuse. It's too dark. That's, you know, this nursery rhyme's too dark for me. I can't even be involved with them. Okay? Man, I just cannot wait to talk about Shoots and Ladders because it is, it might be one of the dumbest songs, uh, it might be one of the dumbest songs ever made. And that's like saying a whole bunch after doing significant other. That's true. You know, like we come back the week after significant other and, and it's like, maybe it's just recency bias or something, but I think corn's like significantly dumber than even Fred Durst. Yeah. Actually, I'm positive of that. Well, yeah, I think we'll, I'm sure we'll get into that too, but I, cause I think my, you know, I posited the theory on the significant other episode that Fred Durst is actually incredibly smart. And, uh, and I think that, uh, that no one in corn is smart, even a little bit. I think they're all extremely dumb. No, they got there by brute force. Like they got where they are because they were, you know, they were able to make music. That was it. That's all it was. They didn't have any brains. No at brains. All. There was no brains between any of them. Very little skill and just a just a crazy band. We're gonna we're gonna get to the album in a sec. I just wanna can, let's let's review episode one a little bit because uh first of all I wanna say thank you to everybody who listened to the episode because I think I don't know if you had any expectations for it, Brian, but uh, the numbers were higher than I was expecting. I'll say that for a new metal podcast. I mean, I know that people listen to our other podcasts and I assume they like us, but even if you like us, I mean, new metal is, it's a real stretch. Um, so do you, do you think like, has I, cause you've been tweeting about it and stuff ha has doing the podcast kind of changed the way you are looking at new metal a little bit right now? I think I'm just listening to it more, which is weird because it, it's like, I haven't listened to metal in years. Like right. I get, I, I think that Mastodon album with Blood and Thunder on it was probably the last one that I was like really into. And then after that, I, I kind of hung up my heavy metal shoes. And now you're, and then, uh, you're in You're back. The shoes are back on. Oh, I love the new corn album. I wish we were talking about the new one. I love that fucking thing. I think it's great. It's pretty good. Like it kind of sounds, I mean, it's such a cop out to say, you know, new corn sounds like old corn like that's a thing that bands will do like this is corn's 13th album the one that just came out if you haven't heard it, it's called the nothing and uh yeah I, I feel like that's a that's a marketing tactic that a lot of bands will use you know they'll just be like hey you know you remember when you liked us 10 albums ago we're tr we're trying to do that again and usually it doesn't go great but i feel like the new corn album it kind of goes great 
they added stuff. I, there's so much more like classic metal now right. on the new one. Like, I, you know, you listen to this thing and you're like the, the, the self-titled stuff or life is peachy. And it's like, they were really trying to do some different stuff, but, uh, with with this new one, it sounds like they they kind of. I mean, it sounds like Pantera at times, where you're like, "Damn, yeah. you know, these guys are really going off," or like death metal at times. But then it's still got the groove, and I, I love it. I I fucking listen to that thing all the time now. <laughs> I've only listened to it like twice through, but I feel like it's good. Like I I don't think I'm gonna be listening to it a lot, but. I don't like, cause what I would say is like doing significant other, like I, I re-listened to the album and I was like, you know, the songs I liked in the past, I'm like, I still like all these songs, you know, like rearranged nookie, just like this, like, uh, you know, it, it, nobody like you. It didn't really surprise me. It was like the songs I used to like, I still like the songs I never really liked. I didn't, I wasn't like, Oh, Whoa undiscovered gem 20 years <laughs> later. Like I was like, well, how did I sleep on that track in 1999? Um, but with this one, I have to say, I, I felt a little bit like, like it was fun to go back and listen to it, but I'm not sure that I'm not sure that it's going to be something that I'm like anxious to listen to anymore. Like I, like, ah. I, you know, there's some songs on, I'm like, okay, yeah, this is still a good song, but I don't know. I feel like this one, this album maybe has passed me by a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, I, I think um, it probably is just the mindset I'm in now. I, I'm in a really weird space in my life right now, too, where I'm like, you know, I have this thing, the, this project, and then I have the Shocktober project. And I just I feel like and I'm going to go see the Joker movie. And I just feel like I'm in a. <laughs> I'm I like that real... those three things are all lumped in together. I'm talking about shock jocks. I'm talking about new metal, and I'm. You know what? I'm gonna see the Joker. <laughs> yeah, wrestling comes back on TV next week that I'm gonna be watching. I think I'm just in a really like heavy metal guy space right now. That it's just. You know, something's going to have to happen. Things are going to have to cool down. I'm off the road for like four months after November. Right. And maybe it'll cool down and I'll like listen to some radio headers. I don't know. Like, <laughs> what, what, I don't even know what I and that. That was like my go to back in the day when when they would be like, uh, all you listen to is this metal shit. And I'd be like, no, man. Sometimes I listen to Radiohead. <laughs> yeah, because I feel like Radiohead is like the touchstone band. Like for me, Radiohead is one that you could say to people who like don't even really know what indie music is. You know, like if people are like, oh, what do you like? Like, what do you like to listen to? And you're like, oh, I like indie. And they're like, what bands? And you're like, I don't know, like the National and like Wye Oak. And, and people are like, huh, who, what? Like even the National is like such a big indie band. But I feel like if you're like 40, like in your forties, like at the time that the national was like coming out with boxer and alligator and stuff. So like 10 years ago, so you're like 50 now, like you don't fucking know who the national is like Radiohead's like the band you'd say, you're like, I don't know, like Radiohead, And then people are like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. I get it's it. It's also like good way to signify your intelligence. Of course. When you listen. Like when you say I like corn, you know, people assume you're going to like watch wrestling next week and then go see the Joker and, 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 <laughs> Yeah, in your case, yeah. all the assumptions are right. Yeah. When, I, when someone's like, oh, you listen to corn, they're not like, oh, are you like a, a teacher? <laughs> are you yeah. like a 33 year old teacher? Yeah. <laughs> That's oh, not the first thing like they a, think. You're a huge Howard Stern fan, I'll bet you. <laughs> I'm yeah. sure of it. You I seem bet. like that kind of guy, but it is like, uh, so I think I went through that phase where it was like, yeah, I told everybody I was into metal. And even with new metal, there was sort of like a way. 
to convey that you're better or more intelligent than the other people. And that's the band we're doing next month. You say Deftones is my favorite band. Oh, I like Deftones. That's actually the intelligent choice right. to be into. The thinking, you know? the thinking man's new metal. It is. Yeah, it really yeah. is. It really is for sure. And we'll we'll get into the Deftones next month. But let's let's get into this Corn album. So we we are going over the Corn self-titled album, which was their first album. It came out on October 11th, 1994. So you're going to be hearing this episode. I mean, depending on when you listen to it, but if you listen to it when we release it, which will probably be on October 1st, um, you're basically hearing it at the 25th anniversary of this record. Uh, so yeah, it came out October 11th, 1994. It was recorded in Malibu, California. It was produced by Ross Robinson, uh, last week or sorry, last month when we did significant other, uh, we looked at the chart position cause it was crazy that that limp biscuit, uh, was number one on the billboard charts. And we looked at the other things that they were around corn, this album, Never really great on the billboard charts. It peaked at number 72 and uh, didn't have like a big single or anything like that. Um, and also the choices for the singles on this album are very strange, but we'll get, we can get into that. But the, so the album did end up selling 2.1 million copies in the United States and 10 million copies worldwide as of January 4th, 2013. And according to Wikipedia, this is the album that is considered to have started the new metal genre. So uh, it's a big album. It's a touchstone album. I think you and I talked about, uh, you know, what album to do first. We wanted to do significant other first because we felt like that was the sort of peak of new metal. And I think this album is sort of the start of new metal. So, you you know, kind of anytime you're going to be doing a new metal podcast, if you're doing two episodes first, you're probably doing corn and limp biscuit. Uh, and so we're getting into corn today. So it didn't, you know, it was, it was a longevity play. This was the album that launched corn, but it wasn't like they were huge right away. People weren't clamoring for the debut album. Now I want to start because last time we were going to talk about the album art of significant other because art and, and the way that, you know, music videos were directed for these bands and the way that the bands presented themselves were such a huge part of it, but we had so much to get to with our own new metal history last time. Uh, before we get into our own history with the corn album, let's just talk a little bit about the album art because um, it's fucked up. I think it's cool. Like I remember <laughs> even back at the, the, back at the time being like, wow, this is fucking cool. This is dark shit because like every heavy metal album, like if you, if, basically heavy metal to me before corn was pantera and like you know vulgar display of power is a hand is a fist punching a guy in the face and like far beyond driven is a skull with a uh with with a screw going through it and it's like all <laughs> black and dark and and like the corn album cover is very dark but yes. i was so drawn to it. it's like a movie to me i like look at that thing and i think it's like a movie for some reason yeah no it looks it looks cool but here's the thing like so i've got this album you know back when i started listening to new metal in like 97 98 and i never noticed this until today when i was doing research for this album not only does it look like the shad there's like a shadow of like it looks like a tall man that's maybe holding like some knives uh is you know he's it looks like he's stalking this little girl on a playground swing all of that's very obvious but here's something i never noticed before the girl's shadow is shot in such a way that it looks like she's hanging from the letter k 
That's sick. It's I never noticed sick that behavior. Yeah, isn't know? that crazy? Like I never. And then I was like, oh man, this is even more twisted than I thought. Did and they I feel do that like, on purpose. Yeah, yeah, they did because it says it says that the it says right in the Wikipedia page, which you know is the most trusted source. The album cover depicts a young girl being approached by a large man who is holding what appears to be horseshoes or possibly blades. Furthermore, the girl's shadow gives the appearance that her body is being hanged due to the position of the band's logo. I see it now. I'm looking at it now, and yeah. it does look like she's being hanged by the the K. In yeah, corn. isn't that crazy? It's I think great. the thing I kind of like about this, and we're going to talk so much about this when we talk about the lyrics and stuff of this record, like this album cover just would not happen today. I don't think, or at least not for a mainstream band. Like maybe if you're kind of like, you know, a death metal band or whatever, I feel like people are just like, yeah, whatever. They're all burning churches and killing each other. Like who gives a shit? But like, if this was like a mainstream album cover, like people would lose their fucking mind. I, yeah, possibly. I guess. Yes. We, we Now that we live in like Joker times where people are like <laughs> afraid of a movie. Right. I think you're yeah. probably I would have disagreed with you like a month ago where it's like, hey, you know, people people understand, you know, it's art, it's fake or whatever. But now I'm like, I know people would be like, oh, shit, this corn album scary as hell. Should we release it? Should the army be at the uh, CD store when we uh, <laughs> when it comes out? I don't the know. National Guard. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny to me because in Canada, the only time you ever hear of like the army being called in for something is like a snowstorm. Like if there's like a really, really brutal snowstorm, the the like local government can dispatch the army to like help clear the streets and sidewalks of snow. So they'll be like, yeah, we called up the National Guard and like a thousand soldiers descended upon Toronto to like clear snow. So like when you're like, yeah, let's send the army to the record store. The first thing that just went through my mind was like, oh, is it snowing at the record store? <laughs> <laughs> no, so they're Canadian. standing there with guns because yeah. the way that see the, the way that we fix things here is we shoot it. And yeah. like it obviously that does something every time. Like there's at least a reaction to that. I guess. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe we're too. Maybe we're just too far. I'm too far left. You know, I, I, that's what Todd, uh, Todd Phillips or no, Todd McKay. What's the guy's name who directed Joker? Uh, Todd Phillips. He's Todd the, Phillips. the okay, old that's school right. guy. Yeah. Yeah. So he was like, he's blaming the, the Joker shit on the far left. So I guess seeing this corn album cover, I'm just too far left, Brian. I, it, it makes me feel like it's not something that would be released today, but I will say as like a debut album mission statement, like it's pretty cool. Like you, re- you see it and you really get you get what the music is. Like if you turned on the first song after seeing the album cover, you'd be like, yeah, this is exactly what I expected, which you don't get with every album cover. You know, a lot of them are pretty ambiguous. You wouldn't necessarily expect what you hear, but I feel like you hear the opening of blind and then Jonathan Davis screams, are you ready? And you're like, yeah, I'm ready to die. Like this girl died (laughs) on the album cover. (laughs) You're like, this is dope. I think like, I think the thing about the cover and and the music is that it all I think it painted the music in a different way to me too. I it, the music has like the little hip hop like elements and stuff in it and the cover wasn't black, I guess is what I'm saying. It was like right. a very bright cover of an album. So it I don't know, it made it completely different from everything else that I had ever heard in my life. I mean, this album was really what made me like care about music. I didn't right. really care that much before this came out. And 
I, I think I got it in April 1995. I, I don't know why I remember, but I got it in April of 1995. And uh, I, I didn't stop listening to it. I just would not stop listening to it for probably two years. So what's your, yeah, so let's get into the history. We've covered the album art. So let's get into our personal history with the album. You're touching on it a little bit there. So what kind of drew you to it? Because I know on on episode one, uh, you were talking about how, you know, at your school, you pretty much had to listen to rap music or you were or you were lame and people hated you. Um, so like what kind of drew you to Korn and, and made it be like the first band that you cared about? What was your history with discovering this? Well, this was this was in high school. Corn came out when I was in high school. When I, I think I was a, a sophomore in high school, and it was a little more laid back about the music thing. There were metal kids, and there were rap kids, or whatever, you know. And uh, I kind of fit in the middle, which Corn really helped a lot because it was like you could show rap people Corn, and they'd be like, "Oh, they're cool, man. They look, you know, <laughs> they look mm-hmm. like kind of cool guys." Yeah, they kind of look like rap dudes. Like they're very California looking to me. Like yeah. in a in a dingy way, but like very California ish, you know. Like I think we talked about with Limb Biscuit, we sort of talked about how like everyone in the band was like a guy, you know. And like I, I remember specifically, like I talked about Corn and just like how yeah, like Monkeys, the kind of like Kirk Hammett, like surfer, dreadlock, kind of like just chill guitar virtuoso guy, and then like Heads, the quiet weirdo, Fieldies, the uh, moron. Uh, Jonathan Davis is the weirdo and David's the guy who like actively hated the music. They were like, I feel like every new metal band has one guy in it who hated what they were doing. Yeah. <laughs> and Dave, David is definitely the guy in core. Who hey, look it. at the guy. He was so handsome. Like in the yeah. early days, I've been listening to, uh, I listened to a podcast with him on it today. And now he's like, uh, one of those guys that you can tell would he like, look, he looks like a YouTube video in a car guy now like a guy. he always kind of looked like a car guy like in the got the life video when he like he's the one who's like driving the car i think when they get out of the car and you're like yeah he probably owns that car (laughs) like he just looked like a guy who like worked out like had a lifetime like his his thing with corn was like you know yeah we made a bunch of money but like gold's gym gave me a lifetime membership and that was like really cool yeah Um, and then i also bought like three muscle cars and that's just that's my whole thing seeing the poster uh, i mean i saw a poster of them when i went and bought the album and that that's what kind of solidified it for me and they have this thing of like they look like rock stars in a way that i could never look i think like i I always wonder how guys that end up being rock stars end up looking like like they were born to do it in a way corn was born to look like that which meant that they were definitely going to be rock stars. I was born to look like this, which meant I would do podcasts, you know, <laughs> or like whatever yeah, no, job no, I would do. Right. I just didn't have the, the, the rock and roll guy look, you know? Right. Well, I think it's the thing too, that corn had, especially like almost more than like limb biscuit and stuff like that was that they had that rock star thing where they could kind of, look and wear whatever they wanted and it seemed cool no matter what yeah. you know which was like that kind of thing like i don't i then maybe that's just me being like insecure but i just feel like i never when i buy clothes i'm just like oh these all look okay like i'm never <laughs> you know and and if something looks a little outlandish i'm like well 
This isn't for me, you know, or it's like you look at like posters of corn and like Jonathan Davis had like a mustache that he shaved down the middle and then wore those like really goofy, like clear lens Oakley's all the time. And then like both head and monkey had like bizarre haircuts and like monkey would do had the kind of like boiler suit look going on. And then like David would wear like just baggy gym clothes and a, like baggy gym pants and like a wife beater and you're, but he looked famous somehow. Like, even though he just dressed like a chud, you're like, this guy looks famous kind of like it just, they had a weird vibe. And then Fieldy was always wearing like the baggiest possible clothes and his, he played his bass at his shins. And you're like, this is just the coolest thing ever. You know, like, I don't feel like, what were you dressing like when corn came I, out? Like, what did you look like that you were like, these guys are dope. I think when they came out, I was in, you know, the, I, God, I wish I, I you know, the, in ninth grade, I'll say this. In ninth grade, I was wearing like uh, IOU jeans, which were basically like Nautica jeans. They they were uh, okay. They were you bought them at the uh, cool people store and then uh, at the mall. <laughs> and in Columbus, that's what the store was called. You yeah. guys just had very literal store names. Oh, I went to the cool people store. <laughs> so I was buying silk like silk shirts and Looney Tunes t-shirts and stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then the next year, when when I got like really into corn, it was Adidas and Jinko jeans and like uh, band t-shirts and flannels. Right and boots and shell toes like i i completely poured myself into being into corn i think part of that was because i liked hip-hop anyway like i was into that 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 like style the whole right. time but i just i don't know if i had the guts to do it until i saw metal guys doing it and i was like oh i can do that too I, I'll, I'll be a metal guy too you know right <laughs> yeah yeah no i i get that like so for me because so when this album like this album I came to much later. Um, so like my history with this album is uh, I got into corn at follow the leader. Like I kind of got into new metal at follow the leader. So when this album came out, I was nine. Um, so I don't think there were probably like a whole lot of nine year olds that were like listening to an album with a song called faggot on it. Yeah. Um, so like it wasn't really, um, you know, it wasn't really something that I would have listened to at that time, but then like freak on a leash came out and that just felt commercial. Like, even though it wasn't, it just like the music wasn't really like, there's never been a time before or since where music like that was popular and famous. But at that time, like freak on a leash was so big. The video was so cool. I talked about this last episode, like the cartoon video was so cool. The song was so cool that got me into corn. And then I specifically remember like, okay, I, same as you, like I right away, I don't know what it was about corn, but right away, there was just something that hooked me into the band where I was like, okay, this band is my shit. I like this now. Like before I was kind of like Weezer, Green Day, Blink-182, kind of like pop punk stuff. And then when I got into this, it was just like, this is it now. I don't like anything else. I only like this. And then I found Limp Bizkit through corn. And then it was just like those two bands. And then, so I went back to this album and it scared me, honestly, like I was thir I was 13. I was like, you know, I, I, I said when I was 13, I'm like, I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to do drugs. I'm not going to have sex. I'm just going to be a cool guy. Now we're 20 years later. I still have not done two of those three things. <laughs> uh, like, you know, it just, I was like kind of a scared kid. So I go back. So I remember specifically like just seeing the album cover for this. I was like, huh? Like this feels different than follow the leader, which was like a cartoon 
album cover and the video was so popular and like people liked it. Girls liked it. People at school liked it. It didn't feel unsafe. And then I got this and it did not sound anything like follow the leader. And I was like, what is this? Like, I remember when I first got it, I liked some of the songs that had a little bit more vibe to them. You know, like I liked blind and I liked divine. Cause that just had kind of like a sort of swing beat that to it. It had some urgency to it, but I remember like for the most part, I was like, I don't think I like this. Like, I think <laughs> like, I think I like follow the leader, but I don't think I like this. So I actually kind of almost skipped this album and went to life is peachy. And then life is peachy has a couple more sort of, again, poppy is not really the way to describe anything, but like Adidas and good God and no place to hide like songs that felt a little bit more like they were trying to get on the radio. Whereas like this album doesn't have any of that. And so I remember like listening to it and being like, this is scary. Like I don't, I can't get into this. And it was only like probably a year later or two years later where I actually like fully got into this record. And I was like, okay, no, this is actually super cool. Yeah. I, I think I was we're so opposite because when follow the leader came out, I was kind of like, this sucks, man. What what are they doing? What? <laughs> I mean, I ended up I, I, I appreciated it when it came out, but it felt like I was trying harder to like follow the leader than I did the first two corn out. Like the, that right. first album was I'm not just talking about like how it got me into metal. It, it really made me care about music, period. Before it was like, hey, some guy at school said Nirvana's good. Uh, I, I'll, I, I'll give it a listen. I guess and I then like I'd, them. Yeah. I'd listen and be like, oh yeah, this is great. You know, so fun. But then, so I, let me, let me ask you this though. So did, did follow the leader because we came to it at totally different times. Like did follow the leader feel like they were selling out to you? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, because the first two albums were, first of all, Ross Robinson, the, 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 the kind of muddy sound that I, you know, honestly, I wish they should remaster this thing this album sounds horrible yeah it sounds it sounds like it was recorded on a walkman yeah like it sounds truly awful and we're going to get into a news article later but ross robinson basically admits that he didn't know what he was doing when he recorded this album and it sounds like that well at the time though (laughs) it sounded very cool to me because everything else was really uh clear everything else like more treble this sounded like it had more bass and it was just more raw and it was it was very cool and like i was seeing them in concert i i think i saw them like my first nine concerts was seeing corn so when you see them live the stuff is like a lot more crunchy it's a lot louder and you kind of have those memories in your mind when you're listening to i don't have them anymore i did drugs for so long that I think they're all Did gone. drugs. Well, I, yeah, I do drugs and I just forget things now. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, that's okay. But I was, okay. I was also such a different kind of kid, you know. I smart, I, I did, I smoked weed and did acid when I was 12. And like, I was always, I already smoked cigarettes when I was 13 years old. Like, I was a that's fucking crazy. habit, habitual smoker when I was 13 years old. And I was, getting high and 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 drinking and whatever I could get my hands on. Like, I just really wanted to be a bad kid. And corn is music for bad kids. Like, that is exactly right. That's their target audience is just bad kids because they they hate their parents and they hate authority and they hate everybody. And, and they think everybody's out to get them. That's why that first album spoke to me so much. It's probably the same feeling people get when they look at like Harley Quinn 
or um, uh, Tweety Bird <laughs> memes online, like when they're young and they're like, oh, shit, yeah, that is sassy what they just said. Like, that's how I feel. <laughs> yeah, I think the thing for me is it's so interesting because I, I, I would bet with your age and when you started listening to this, like this would have felt like really like you say for the bad kids. And I feel like follow the leader was like follow the leader was like new metal emo almost. Like I, I talked about this on the last episode, but it was like, for me, it was more like I had a great life. Everything about my life was totally fine. Like I played rep sports that my parents poured thousands of dollars into. I always grew up in a comfortable home. My parents were together. They're still together. I have a great relationship with my entire family. And I'd listen to like one corn song and be like, well, my life is awful. It's horrible. No one likes me or understands me. Jonathan Davis understands me and no one else understands me, you know? And it's like, like I can remember listening to uh faggot. It sucks. I have to keep saying that word, but I mean, it is the name of the song, but say like, Faget, listen, which is the way Faget, it's spelled, there we go. You know? There we go. Okay. Yeah. Let's say that. Let's say that. That's how, that's much better to me. So Faget, I remember like listening to that and being like, uh, and, and thinking to myself, like, yeah, this is me. I get bullied. I'll bet kids I get, think I'm gay. I get like, bullied I all to, the time. And I, but I didn't really like, I, did, like, I didn't, either. I didn't, I didn't have a ton of friends. Like I was always kind of a bit of a loner and I moved too. like when I was in grade eight, I moved across. I live, I was grew up in Toronto in a suburb of Toronto and I moved to a suburb of Vancouver when I was 14. So in grade nine, I moved uh, ninth grade for our American listeners. I know it's confusing switch, but um, the, yeah, so I, I, I moved. So I felt like I didn't have a lot of friends, but it wasn't like, no one was actively bullying me. No one was calling me names in the hall. No, but yeah, in my mind, I'm like, yeah, everyone thinks that I am a loser and they hate me. And when Jonathan Davis says you can suck my dick and fucking like it, I was like, yeah. See, it's weird (laughs) because I think that's, that is good. A good, like fundamental difference between, I ran with a pack of wolves. Okay. Like, <laughs> like I didn't, I, I was a bully. Obviously. I've said before, obviously. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I was a redneck idiot, you know, <laughs> but I was like kind of a bully and I was sort of, uh, you know, I, I don't like to say like I was a popular kid because it sounds weird, but like I was friends with everybody. Sure. Yeah. And, uh, but the guys I hung out with, uh, were, we were mean to each other. We beat each other up and, and we were brutal. It, it really was like a pack of wolves. So like that first corn album, like while I was not being picked on, I was still like constantly fighting for my life with this group of horrible people that I decided to put around <laughs> myself, you know, <laughs> oh, like I had sure. put myself in this situation where like, Oh, you're a bad, you know, like where I had to like kind of live up to a certain standard of badness and, and roughness and toughness. And, and like, uh, I was probably the most tender hearted of all of my friends. And, uh, uh, that's exactly it. This corn album was, was what, first of all, like the only emotion I knew how to have was anger because I was right. always scared of like everything. I was like scared of all adults. I didn't like adults, which I think is a theme in a lot of corn stuff. Totally. And it, it just was, I just hated people having authority over me. 
And uh, the first corn album is really about like somebody feeling trapped, like, like Jonathan Davis felt trapped. It seemed like in his childhood. And that's how I always felt too. I mean, my home life wasn't terrible. I hate my, I don't like my parents very much and I don't, love all of my brothers and sisters (laughs) but it's it wasn't like i i hate to make it sound like i i wasn't in like an abusive house or anything it was a real like i don't give it like do whatever you're gonna fucking do kid you know that right that was kind of my life was like just do whatever you're gonna do you had a good line on episode one where you talked about how like listening to this music like made like made you think that you hated your parents like you <laughs> like you know where you'd listen to it and then you're like oh yeah like I do like Jonathan Davis would be singing about abuse and even though you weren't getting abused you're like yeah you know what my parents kind of I mean they treat me bad too and I feel like I feel like it was that way for me but with like being like a loner or like an outcast like I feel like that was the part of the corn music that like spoke to me was the like I are like and I again I had friends it wasn't like I had no friends I just didn't have a ton of friends and I always felt like I was unpopular like my dread like you said you're always afraid or you're angry because you're afraid and I wasn't so much angry it was more like sadness it was like I was afraid of of getting too close to people I think and I wasn't like it's hard to believe now because I'm very like extroverted, but I like was not very social. I didn't talk to a lot of people. So I feel like listening to this type of music almost exacerbated those feelings for me where I was like, Oh yeah. Like I am, I'm a huge loner, but like I'm listening to this music and someone like identifies with me and like, that's cool. And it was like, almost like I propagated my own stereotype in my head of like, I had this stereotypical idea like, Oh yeah, I'm a loner piece of shit. Um, and then I would like listen to corn and walk around school and be like, yeah, all these people hate me, but like, I don't give a fuck. Cause like, whatever <laughs> I'm tough and I'm like a loner and I don't care. Like it's fine. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, for me, it was a lot like we would get our grade cards every nine weeks and we would get an interim report every four and a half or some shit like that. They would send them out. And, uh, most of the time. I would get to the mailbox before my parents and just throw them, throw them all away. I would throw all my brothers and sisters away too. So it was just kind of like shit. Great cars didn't come. That's weird. You know, but uh, (laughs) they keep forgetting our address. I think, I don't know what's going on. Super strange. But when they would get their hands on them, you know, they would ground me and then I would go down in my room and slam the door and play this album really fucking loud because they made me, I just, I was so mad that somebody, again somebody had power over me and i think my whole life has been pushing i mean my podcast is about how i hate authority basically it's right it's like everything in my life has been i don't want anybody to have any power over me so i'm just gonna act up and that's that is this album that seems to be the message of this album is like not nobody will control me and I will cry and I will scream <laughs> until people realize that they just don't want to be around me at all. Yeah, this is serious. You guys don't get this. And I think that's what it was for me too. Like I was 13 years old and it was that kind of thing of like, my feelings are serious. Like this is serious shit. Like you, you don't understand, like you don't understand how serious I am about this stuff. And like you and I grew up in an era where there wasn't, like mental health was not a conversation. You didn't talk to your parent. Like if I told my parents I was getting bullied, they'd probably be like, Oh, like that's too bad. That sucks. 
what you kick his ass. You know, yeah, exactly. You know, like it wasn't, you could never be like, oh, like I'm kind of sad, you know, like this is pretty shitty that I'm sad. You didn't, you just didn't talk about that. So it was this kind of thing of like, oh, but no, but my feelings are pretty serious. And I know that now because a guy was screaming in on my stereo. There's also, that's how I know. There's also a thing about being a teenager where like your feelings do feel pretty serious and no adults take them seriously. Totally. totally. And that is, that's difficult. I mean, I'm a 40 year old man with a 15 year old daughter now, and I find it very hard to take her feelings seriously. You know, I know what the issues are. You know, I know. Yeah. Issues is is Korn's fourth album. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yes, I know. That's what, what the e- issues are. <laughs> I know what all I know that everything seems very serious to her, but I just look at her. And I'm like, you got a whole long life ahead of you, you know? Yeah. It's oh, for sure. Fine. It's just it's it's because it's hard. Like you it's so hard to impart perspective. Right. And like I remember like, you know, I've been teaching for 11 years now and I remember, you know, the first time these words came out of my mouth where I had like grade 12 kids and and they were like, you know, Oh, Mr. Cullen, like, this is so hard. And I would be like, you think this is hard. Just (laughs) wait till you get to university. Like you think this 500 word paper is hard. Like you're going to go to university in four months and they're going to give you a 1500 word essay and they're not going to give you any help at all. I gave you a 500 word essay and I sat here and I taught you how to write every word of it. And you, and then I remember like getting in my car after work and I'm like, fuck. Yeah, it was actually hard. I'm, I'm that guy now. I, and then, you know, and then you have kids that are like Mr. Cullen, like six months later, who are like, you're so right. Like you told me great. To, but at the moment, the kids are like, no, this is the hardest thing I've ever done. How could you tell me this isn't hard? This is the hardest assignment I've ever done in my life. Like everything feels like the biggest deal until you move on. And it's impossible to impart that. Um, let's talk about some of the songs, because I know you've, you've been tweeting about some of them over the last few days as you've been listening to the album. One thing that I think I w- I'm going to make a statement right now and you can agree with me or not. I think, which is crazy because th- this is a crazy statement I'm about to make, but I actually think that this is the only non Deftones new metal album where every song is good. Uh, I, you know what? I, I kind of agree. Now here's the, here's the problem. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Listen to it way too many times. <laughs> I'm way too many in my life. Just I have like a, a thing about it, repeated doing things, you know, with music. It's a little better. Like I movies, right? I only watch every movie once. I would never watch a movie a second time. It's sure. I'm the same. Just a ridiculous thing to watch a movie a second time or a TV show a second time. No, I'll never do that with music. Uh, I go the other direction and I will listen to the same music a million times and then hate it as soon as I'm done. Right. That being said, uh, I like every song on this album. I I could go. I could do without uh, shoots and ladders. I think. Okay. Is, That's is the one where you draw the line with the. Yeah, album. I, I don't uh, for me. Shoots and ladders and lies and daddy, I think are the three that, you know, you could just be fine. Never hearing again. I mean, daddy's kind of iconic and obviously like I remember daddy being iconic in in the way of 
you know, people being like, oh, Corn, like, isn't that the band that has the song where the lead singer cries for like five minutes? Like people even knew about that, you know, because that was just no one did that. You know, that wasn't a thing to just like have like, oh, yeah, we just left the track playing while he like sobbed in the vocal booth for four minutes or whatever. Um, but for me, those are like the three where you could go either way on. But I, I just I think it's more I'm viewing it with a modern lens. Like I'm with you. I listened to it so much when I was younger, but it, I was just surprised going back and listening to it over the last like week or so to get ready for this podcast. I was surprised how good the songs are. Like yeah. I, I really thought that I was going to hate, not hate, but I just haven't listened to it in a long time. So I really thought I just wasn't going to care for it. Cause I remember the production being so bad and I'm, I'm a real stickler for good production. So I was kind of like, yeah, I remember the production being pretty bad. It's their first record. I don't, I don't, I don't think that I'm going to really like this. And like, man, I mean, it's really like wall to wall bangers. And the thing that really surprised me is when you get to the back half of the album, they were really like experimenting quite a bit. Like it wasn't like it was just all, go, 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 go. You know, obviously every song had like a monster riff, but you know, there are some really like in fake, like the verse in fake where it like completely goes down to like a very sparse, like guitar note. And Dave's David's playing like flams on the drums and, uh, <clears throat> or sorry, um, rolls like subtle rolls on the drums and just really like they had some really interesting parts on a lot of the tracks. Helmet in the bush has the drum track, um, <clears throat> it just kind of sound like it, I was surprised at sort of the layers of the album. I just thought I was going to listen to it. It was going to be pretty sludgy. I was going to like maybe three or four songs and I was going to be like, yeah, this album's aged poorly, but I think 25 years later, it's aged pretty good. Yeah. The back half of the album is so good. Like that's Super all my favorite good. songs. On. I like lies a lot. Like I really I yeah. was one of my favorite songs because he says ripping your heart and destroying my brain brain i think he says but i love yeah. that here's a here's another thing like i this is not to say like these songs are so special to me because i was there when this was all they played at yeah, their concerts they amazing. didn't have any other songs this was it and then they would do a cover of low rider and they yep. would do a uh, uh, uh rob bass and dj easy rock that was it. That was the only other songs. They played everything except for Daddy. And it's funny that you bring up Daddy because the big rumor at Woodstock 99 was that Korn was going to play Daddy. And I was so excited to be able to tell people I got to see Daddy live. And then, you know, like they didn't do it. So. <laughs> right. Well, they ended up they ended up doing it on the 20 year anniversary tour. And Jonathan Davis talks about that in the article that we're going to read in a little bit. And he was just basically like. Yeah, like it was really emotional. Like, I guess what happened, the story is they played it one time in 1995 and Jonathan like kind of broke down again when they played it on stage and he was just like, well, fuck that. I'm not going to like cry every show. And so then he was just like, yep, we just don't play it. And that's the rule. And then it just never got talked about. And then when they did the, the 20 year anniversary tour of the album, he was just like, yeah, like I'm over all that shit now. Like, I don't care. I, I can play it. It doesn't matter. And I was kind of like, okay, well great so, so then they just played more. it they played it on the tour like i would have rather him been like 20 years later like yeah it still bugs me like there's no way we're playing it you know yeah. just like keep it that keep it tight like that you know yeah i mean there's so many of these songs you i'm i you know me and brett went and saw him a couple years ago and they didn't play any of this stuff 
No, of course. And it what, was what, like, what would you play? You'd play blind, maybe. Yeah, they play like, ball tongue. I think too. Oh, really? Interesting. Okay, yeah, yeah. that's like a that that actually was. I don't know if it was in the interview that you sent me or if it was one I listened to, but they kind of felt like that song was the purest distillation of what corn was up to that moment. And when yeah, you listen Fieldy to it, he says that in the interview. Yeah. Yeah. When you listen to it, it really is kind of like that. That is the foundation for what they would end up being. But these yeah. songs were all special to me. It was like, cause they all had these, uh, they all had these great parts in, in the mosh pit. And that's like, really what I remember is like every single one of them had these, these really great parts in the pit and, and I'll never fucking forget being in those pits back then. And he's yeah. like really small places and fucking moshing to like predictable, you know? <laughs> right. Which is so cool. Like, yeah, that's something that I can't, I can't even wrap my head around that. Uh, you know, they were like skinheads at those shows. Like for be- sure, because corn was just like new there. They hadn't, there was no audience. There, there wasn't like this audience of dudes in Adidas pants and stuff. It was like guys that like Motorhead and guys that liked rap music and guys, you know, it was like Rage Against the Machine fans. It was just all these different people were were showing well, up because there was no scene. Yeah, it's hard to imagine at like the, this album coming out at that time. Pardon me. And, and thinking like who, who's picking it up and liking it other than like those people that you mentioned, like kind of skinhead, like, like skid people in general, like, you know, because it's not, it's not really metal. It's almost not even new metal in the way that we kind of like think about new metal as this sort of like rap rock kind of like hybrid thing. Like it's not this corn did more of that later. This is kind of not really that like, this is, this is almost like a mix of like metal and grunge in some ways. Like it's funny that corn talks in some of the interviews I read about how they were like trying to distance themselves from grunge. But I feel like in the way that it's recorded and like some of the tracks, like it, it does owe something to grunge, you know, and, and it's coming out in 94. So of course it's going to have some kind of influence on it, but I just, yeah, it's hard for me to imagine someone hearing this, which probably sounded so different from everything and being like, yeah, this is cool. Like, this is good. This is what I want. You know, I mean, I think the thing that grabbed me first, the very first thing I heard, you know, blind was cool and everything. And I heard it and I was like, ah, listen to that song again. That's pretty fun. You know, but right after blind, they go into this thing that kind of sounds like Cypress Hill. And I was like a huge Cypress Hill fan. So right. that that is the thing that I could tie corn to. Right. Was like I was looking at corn as like. That's why I think I thought of them as rap rock in a way, because I remember saying like, oh, all telling my dad, my dad saying like, you know, uh, every band out there right now owes a debt of gratitude to Pink Floyd and the Beatles. And I was like, not my favorite <laughs> bands. They owe more to Cypress Hill and the great rappers of our time. OK, and Pantera. So just you shut your mouth, dad. I do feel like this album is. W- would totally have been a generational touchstone of of something that like like no parent would have liked this. My dad hated like, there's it. Just, of course, right? Like, I mean, I, that had to be part of the appeal in that. Yeah, like if you were if you were an older parent at the time that this album came out, like this is the exact type of music that I think people would conjure in their mind 
of like, yeah, I, my kids listen to this absolute garbage. I can't even understand how they like this. It sounds you know, so like loud and muddy and just it sounds so muddy. Like there's nothing in it to grab on to, you know, like I feel like when I was listening to like Green Day and Weezer and stuff like that, like my parents didn't love that either, but there's enough to grab on to there where you can be like, okay, well, this is sort of influenced by like the clash and the Ramones and like what, you know, people can kind of get that. And Weezer was sort of like the cars and stuff like that. And, and, and another sort of like eighties pop. And the, this has none of that. There's nothing in here where if you're like a parent, you're like, well, I don't really love like all of this, but like that one part, I kind of no. Like. There's it, there's and, no, there's nothing zero, and then of course like all the language that's in it. You know, there's tons of like homophobic slurs, and not even homophobic. Well, I guess they are they are homophobic slurs, even though Jonathan Davis was like you know be, lamenting that they were being yelled at him, and he even says in one of the interviews, he's like, yeah, this the songs on the record where I talk about that, it's like. I never saw the big deal in like being gay. Like what? So what if I was gay? Like who cares? You know, like I think that's what he's like trying to get at, but it's, it's pretty abrasive to listen to in 2019, even where you hear some of the lang and not even the homophobic language. There's just so many like Fox and you know, it's still, and you're just like, Oh boy. Like he has that one, uh, what song is it? I think it might be need to, where he's just like, fuck. Yeah, Dude, I love that fuck. song. That's one of <laughs> my favorites. Like, <laughs> yeah, and you're like, my parents. Just, uh, my dad hated it because, like, he was like, they can't even play their instruments, which is such right. a funny parent thing to say. Like, they can't yeah. even play because that was that's like sort of the fundamental difference between me and him is that he kind of likes that virtuoso stuff, and I sure. hate it. And I hate people that can play their instruments. I think they stink. <laughs> like I mostly just listen to punk and and this stuff. So, right. This was like kind of mind blowing to me. It, 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 the the and I I just remember my dad hated the bass in in this oh, stuff. Of course, and that was like how could you not? All I cared. That's what I loved. Like I I right. was sort of like. I think corn was really the gateway to get me into Primus too. I, I wanted to be a bass player for a period of time because I love the bass on these albums. I'd never heard a bass guitar. You know, I'd, I'd never picked it out above anything else in music until corn. And then I was like, holy shit, you know, the bass is like the coolest instrument, you know? Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. And I, what I think is funny is, is I actually feel like, they're they play really well like it's a funny thing to be like these guys don't even know how to play their instruments and it's like oh and who does the beatles yeah like they don't know like they they're playing like simple like chord progressions ringo stars like uh, absolutely rudimentary drummer like obviously they wrote amazing songs rhyme to say that shit i'll say yeah it. i'm not trying care. to say it. I, i'm not trying to say that they're bad musicians obviously either but it's like it's such a funny argument to be like, well, these guys don't even know how to play their instruments and they're playing like extremely complicated, like chord progressions. The drumming is insanely fast and difficult to play. Like, yeah, Fieldy is, I mean, well, I have a problem with his bass playing, but he just, but you know, it, yeah, like you said, it's like nothing else. No one, no one else was really doing that aside from, yeah, Les Claypool at the time. So it just like, is such a weird thing to be like, oh, well, they don't even know how to play their instruments. It's like, well, I actually feel like this would be extremely hard to play for a lot of people. <laughs> like it's not easy. Well, I'll say that Fieldy, I don't think he's like a great bass player or anything. I just like the way he, he just hits the thing. It's great. Right. It's great to watch. Mm -hmm. It's fun to watch. And 
I don't know. I, I, I think being able to hear the bass in the song is so cool, it, it, especially yeah, no, in metal, sure. you know? Yeah, no, I think so too. And we're uh, Fieldy has an amazing quote in the interview we're about to read here, but we'll, we'll talk a little, I want to talk a little bit more about shoots and ladders because it is so funny. Um, like that's the other thing too. I think you can really appreciate, and it was the same thing with significant other when you're, you know, I mean, I was 13, 14, 15 listening to this album. Like I never thought about the lyrics ever. I'm just not a lyrics guy. We talked about that in the first episode. Like it just, whatever they said, I was like, cool. And Jonathan Davis like scats on this. And I would like scat along with him, you know, making up whatever he's saying, you know, whatever. I didn't give a shit. Like, and so it's just so funny now as a 33 year old man to like, look back and be like, yeah, they just had a song where it starts out with a minute and a half of bagpipes for some reason. And then because Jonathan Davis knows how to play them. Yes. So they're just like, okay, well, we'll just, he knows how to play them. So we'll put them on here. That was a huge deal and then, live though. In, in the early oh, days, for sure. in the very early days when they were playing these like dingy rock clubs, a guy coming out with uh, bagpipes was fucking crazy. <laughs> was it cool or were people like, what is No, going people on? loved it because he, he played low rider and they would play jump around with them, you right, know, with the right. little you know, so it was it was right. cool. Everybody was super excited about it. But and like I remember telling my dad, I was like, this guy can play fucking bagpipes, man. What are you talking about? <laughs> you know? Yeah, but it's so weird. So it starts and then they basically recite nursery rhymes, and then that's the whole song, essentially. And what I love is like some of the quotes about it are just so funny because he literally Jonathan Davis literally says like yeah I just wrote this because it's it's crazy like when you look back on like nursery rhymes like they're about some like dark stuff like they're like Baba Black Sheep is like racist and uh, London Bridge is about the Black Plague and like these are some really dark things and like no one talks about it I'm like yeah no one talks about it because no one cares yes (laughs) No one gives a shit. Like the chorus of the song is so funny where he's like, look at the words that cause all this evil. What evil? No, no one was reciting Baba Black Sheep. And then it was like, well, now we're all racist because we've been saying Baba Black. Like it was just such a weird, like how tripped out or whatever do you have to be to be sitting in the studio and be like, you know, have you guys ever thought about it? Like nursery rhymes are like pretty fucked up. Should we let's write a song about that? I mean, that's pretty fucked. It's programming our five, brains when, when we're kids. It's making me yeah. racist over here. <laughs> All six dudes were just like, yep, that's like for sure. I mean, Jonathan Davis was 23 when they recorded the album. So like 23, you're like peak, like cool. You know, that's when you think you're like the coolest person on earth. You're like invincible. And he's just like probably high on meth in the studio. Like, man, these nursery rhymes are fucking dark. Yeah. Let's get in. Let's get in there. Can we talk? Can we talk about this? Not enough people are talking about this. And then heads like, you're right, man. Why does no one talk about this? You should sing about it. Ross Robinson's like, yeah, I get. Yeah. Do you, could you play the bagpipes on this? I probably could. And then somehow we have this song. Like it's so it's the worst song i i mean it was really good in the pit back then you know like that was the the knickknack paddywhack 
like that that was like right. when it like when the song like breaks down where it's knick knack patty whack give a yeah. dog a bomb. that was where people went like absolutely <laughs> ape shit because you know that was a lot of people's favorite song because a lot of people right. are idiots you know <laughs> like it's just like, especially those who listen to Korn. so many people are dumb just like jonathan davis which sort of makes shoots and ladders a perfect song because there are also so many people that you would be like, some of these nursery rhymes are really dark. And I'd be like, word. Yeah, I know. I heard that. Like, it's crazy. Yeah. Racism, you know, it's <laughs> fucked up. You know, we got to stop. Why does that the stuff. sheep have to be black? Why does it have to be black? Why can't it be purple? <laughs> Why isn't it Baba purple sheep? Okay. <laughs> we, this is crazy. It's like nobody even. Uh, it's hard for me yeah. to say because. I guess like if you were a child of the sixties uh, uh, or whatever, Jonathan Davis was seventies. They probably yeah, did 70s, read yeah. nursery rhymes back then because that was like all there was, I guess it was like the only books, but like now people don't even think about nursery rhymes. No, my kids never no, heard a nursery not. rhyme unless she's been in the car when I played shoots and ladders, which just shows that Jonathan Davis is putting that <laughs> darkness out in the world anyway. It's like, yeah, exactly. That was the only way I knew the nursery rhymes. <laughs> I was like, whoa, this, this has a really kind of cool sing song vibe to it. <laughs> I wonder if they came up with this. Then I start looking up. Whoa, these are racist. And he's talking about this and a song earlier. He was saying Faget a bunch of times. <laughs> I don't know about this. Jonathan Davis guy. This is really, this is really something. It's a fucking mess. Well, it, it, it is a really like it's funny when you start to dig into the it's funny when you start to dig into the songs as well, because basically every song on the album is about is about getting bullied or being insanely high on drugs. That's like every that's the only songs that there are. They named a song after how your dick gets small when you do math. They're just like, yeah, helmet in the bush. That's what it looks like when I'm super high and I can't get it up. Yeah, I didn't know cool. that was what the song was about. You just you blew did. my fucking mind. Yeah, I never yeah. thought about it. Yeah, helmet in yeah, the that's, bush. That's uh, here's the direct quote. Davis said that helmet in the bush is about meth. It's about when you do meth and you look down at your dick and it's literally a helmet in the bush. Oh, been there. Basically, it's what happens when you do too much drugs and your girl want to get with you and you got some man problems down below. Just another reason not to do drugs. Children feel the elaborated. Oh my God, they're so <laughs> dumb. I listen. Oh they're so God. dumb. Well, let's get into how dumb they are. So every every month, every time we look at an album, we're going to pick up. Uh, uh, we're going to pick up an article and, and read it uh, a crazy article. And normally we're going to try and focus on an article from that time period, but this came out in 94. The internet wasn't really around. So this is actually an oral history of the recording of the album uh, just before Korn did their, their 20 year anniversary tour in 2014. So this is from Rolling Stone in 2014. And it's an oral history from all five members of Korn and Ross Robinson, the producer about the album and uh, just some truly absurd quotes in here. And the thing I love about it is we're 20 years past the making of this album. And some of the shit that they say is just truly absurd. Yeah. And we're, I, I want to start with Fieldy. So we've talked about, I think, I, th I, I do think, pardon me, Fieldy might be one of the dumbest people on earth. Like for Fieldy, if he did not get into this rock band, he was going to be, it was going to be a real problem for him in life. I'm not going to say what jobs he may or may not have had. They just weren't, they just weren't going to be good. No. I'll tell you that right now. And so his quote, this is literally the first thing he says in the oral history here in Rolling Stone. 
When I would want to slap my bass, I wanted it to sound like it was being slapped. I didn't want it to sound like a bass. I wanted it to sound like if you slapped a string. I don't even like bass to tell you the truth. It makes me nauseous. <laughs> this is in 2014. Fieldy. I don't, bass makes me nauseous. The instrument I play that has made me filthy rich. Yeah. I mean, it does. It, it can make you nauseous. It'll like make you feel a little bit weird sometimes if you get hit with it really hard, you know, you hit with that really big bass. And you're like, ooh, God, it feels like my heart's beating weird now. And then you get freaked out and you got to go step out of <laughs> out of the pit because you did too many drugs before you went to the concert. <laughs> so, yeah, that one really that was a really great way to kick it off where Fieldy's just like, yeah, whatever. I wanted it to sound like I was hitting it. It's like, well, I like that. Guess what? That's if you, if you like. hit it, that is what it sounds like. I love that you can hear the the strings clacking on the uh, guitar. I I that's like my favorite thing. I think that is one of the things that that really drew me to corn was the hearing those hearing fielding strings slap the guitar. It sounds like they're not even like they're not even tuned or strung there. They just like are hanging there, and he's just whipping the guitar with them, and I love it. Yeah, it, it was it was always funny to watch him play live because it certainly does not look like he's playing the instrument properly. Like that's where your dad would have an argument where he's just like watching a corn concert and field. He's just there like and you're like, OK, well, this doesn't this isn't anything. What is happening right now? He's yeah. not even he's not even doing the thing properly. Like, I mean, imagine if they needed somebody to play a real bass. They'd probably be in trouble, but they didn't. They just had him. That's all they needed. Uh, <laughs> my next favorite quote is from Ross Robinson, the producer. Um, <clears throat> pretty good. This is another great uh, quote that just shows you how much everybody really knew what was going on when this was happening. Uh, Ross Robinson. I didn't know what the hell I was doing at all. Laughs. When I didn't know the answer to something, I would go to the bathroom and put my head on the floor and ask for help until I got this chill in my body. Then I would go out and have all the answers and know what to do. I've been there. I, I <laughs> kind of understand what he's getting at there a little bit. Like there's yeah, been a lot of times where I've had to like just walk out of the room and be like, all right, I'm just. Out and then come in and I'm able to do stuff. I mean, I wasn't doing technical stuff. I'm just doing content. So that's a little bit different thing. He he probably should have read a manual or something instead of going in the bathroom and putting his head on the floor. But I, I get what he's I get what he's putting out there. I sort you know? of get it's what like, he's putting out there, but it's just like a funny like he's obviously just trying to like be funny and be self-deprecating, but it's just a weird like yeah, all I had to do was just I just put my head on the bathroom floor and then I knew everything of what to do and it was totally fine. With the amount no... of money he was probably getting at the time because they were signed. Totally. You know, somebody was paying for that. They were just like, fuck it. You know, I'll, I'll whatever. Do whatever you got to do, Ross Robinson. Yeah, no, exactly. And they talk a lot about, you know, how he was really trying to like get vocal performances out of Jonathan Davis and everything like that. And he would just, you know, really push Jonathan's buttons and like get it going on. And then they have a whole <laughs> great section where they talk about Ross Robinson trying to uh, feed them wheatgrass shots uh, that he was like a super healthy guy. And he'd be like, OK, guys, I'll be honest. I saw last night you were doing a shit ton of meth. 
it'd probably be good if you took a shot of this wheatgrass. I think that smart. would really clean everything. It's smart. It's really good because, yeah, they, they recorded this album in a house in the forest, apparently. And so I guess the label's whole plan was like, hey, we'll just we'll put corn in the forest. They're going to go out. They're going to get this album done. There are no distractions. And then they're just like, yeah, we just invited people there every day and just had massive parties. And it like really didn't matter. It wasn't a problem. We just partied every minute. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'll say this about the wheatgrass thing. When I'm on tour and I'm just like just doing drugs and eating bad food for 10 days, you know, and smoking and just uh, just the worst human being possible on the road, like on like the last two days, sometimes it'll just be like, let's go get a green smoothie today. Actually, let's. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Let's get our bodies back together. Get it healthy again. Just one smoothie and we're good. That's all <laughs> you need, baby. One smoothie recharges the whole tank. It's all good. I- so wheatgrass makes sense. I'm, I might do wheatgrass next time. David in that article says the wheatgrass made him him go crazy. Like he loved it. Yeah, of course. And that's he's we're gonna a moron, get to, though. We're going to get actually. to David. I know you hate David. And so this I, is a good this is a good quote from Jonathan. I don't hate him now. <laughs> okay, I thought you said you hate a little him. bit. I hated him like a <laughs> tiny bit. Well, because Jonathan says, uh, you know, I remember that moment. This is he's talking about recording daddy. He's like, I remember that moment when I came out of there and I was fucking sobbing. My whole band was crying. They just all hugged me and shit. It was a crazy fucking experience. It was the good old days, dude. We were all a band of brothers. We were like the fucking three musketeers. Everybody was there for all their parts. Now we got families and shit and we're grown up and everybody comes and does their parts and leaves. But at that point, the whole band was there, except for David. He was never there. He always did his parts and bailed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like, I mean, that is the thing. He, I don't think he, it doesn't seem like I just listened to an hour interview with him and some guy from a band called band of wolves or some shit like that. I don't know what it was. It was a real sure. weird podcast that wasn't very good. And, uh, and David was just the least charismatic person I've ever heard on. I've had people on my podcast that were like impossible to talk to, yep, but been there. David seemed like the most impossible person to talk to in the whole world. And uh, I just really felt for the host in that one. But uh, it was just the host and David. Yeah, it was just the host and David. The host was the lead singer of a band. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because he David seems like the guy who would just be like, you know, he'd be like, so, you know, corn like you guys, you know, tell me about that recording experience or whatever. Like they could be talking about the album. Like, tell me about what it is like to record that. I'd be like, I don't know. It was good. I'm not. I'm not here to talk about corn. That's <laughs> Did he like say a real that? David move? No, he didn't do that. But it would have been fun because he knows he has to be there. To of talk course, about corn now, well, he hasn't done know? anything since corn. So well, what? okay. Now let me just read this real quick from the article, which I cut out. Silvera, who left the group in 2006, won't be rejoining the band for the occasion, but he is currently working on getting a wider release. For Echoes and Traces, the debut from his alt metal project, Infinica. So he's doing great right now. He's got yeah. Infinica going. I've that album, of- it's funny because that album went triple, like, like triple platinum since this article was written. And that's all people are talking about right now. Yeah, of course. Infinica. And everybody knows it and they love it. And I think people do think that when they listen to new metal, they're like, I... I really like follow the leader, but I just can't help but think that that drummer's probably got some good ideas himself. If <laughs> I you, mean, you know, he's, I think he's being held back. I, I can hear the way he's playing the drums. And I mean, I'm a drummer. Okay. And, uh, no, 
drummers should never have solo projects. That's not, that's nothing that doesn't even Tommy Lee. He's like the most famous, like at least not, maybe not most famous, but most celebrity drummer of all, even his solo project. People were like, no, thanks. Oh, you mean methods of mayhem? The album we'll definitely talk about on this show. Correct. Yeah. Get naked, baby. We have (laughs) to talk about it. Come on, baby. Make it hot. Uh, (laughs) It was, uh, yeah, he comes off like, a massive dick and and like the more i listened to about him the more it was just like oh fuck this guy you know because i think i think what happened was we we get to about 2006 the band's been going for like 12 years and it's definitely on there they it seems they're on the down the down road you i think know? they've been on the down road for some time in 2006 yeah so i mean fucking, well when did untouchables come out 2004 2003 yeah, I, I can look yeah because un- untouchables felt like the last kind of time that people were aware of corn right so he figured uh you know i might as well just get out of here this thing's gonna turn into like a new metal nostalgia act and they're just gonna go around and do the things but they kept they like kind of pushed through and came out on the other end and made a few like good moves, made a few good albums and uh, ended up being a legendary band. And uh, he wants back in like he, he so clearly wants back in. I, I read a couple of things where like uh, so basically when him and head were out of the band, he called head like during the year that head was out of the band. And he's like, Hey man, you know, we should try to get back in corn again. <laughs> that would be the weirdest. Like what a weird conversation to have. Like, Hey man, let's, let's try to get back into corn again. And, uh, and heads like I can get back in at any time. Like I, yeah, they like me. I, yeah. It's no problem. I, I'm, I still see monkey like every day I could get back in any time. Right. I don't know what the, con- cause then David is a prick and he goes like this. And then a year later heads back in the band, even after he said some pretty nasty things about the other guys uh, to me on the phone that day. And it's like, <laughs> okay, that's why I don't like you, man. He's an unlikable person. Yeah, he's uh, he's unlikable. When I would he say. left corn, he was like, I'm going to like either model or be a restaurateur. And it's like, oh, fuck you, man. Just go. Go away forever. Nobody wants him back. Like, that's the funny thing. And then he yeah. sued them and then they sued him. It, it's just incredible. He's he seems uh, sleazy to me a little bit. Very dumb, which corn hit when he was 20. So I can see that he probably never learned a single thing after that day. <laughs> yeah, especially like playing the instrument where you just hit stuff. Yeah. I mean, Corn had two guys that just hit stuff, him and Fieldy, but uh, they, he, probably they did hasn't, great. he probably hasn't like opened a book. No, or like he probably doesn't watch the news. He probably doesn't go on the internet. He probably has no idea of anything except for no. this band he's in, which is that he's probably, not in anymore. Well, and no, he's, he's probably in a still new one now. Oh, right. Yeah. But he's probably still collecting enough royalties too off of the old corn. They stuff cut his ass just, off. They cut they? him off. So what happened was this is great because I listened to some shady YouTube person lay out this court case. What happened was he sued them for back royalty for royalties on the new shit. Right. Oh, that he didn't even play on? Yeah, but he's like, I made corn, you know, so I was there oh my when God. we made corn. 
And uh, <laughs> that's so, hilarious. So they were like, uh, they were like, fine, you know, we'll settle with you. They wrote up a contract and they settled with them. And uh, this motherfucker went behind their back and tried to go to their publishing company and bill them for more money, which then ended up being a breach of contract. And they took him to court and they cut him off forever. <laughs> wow. I mean, that's incredible. It fucking rocks. Man. So you, yeah, you got to be so dumb. And the thing is like, he's just not a good enough drummer. Like you don't like in this genre, you, you don't, you don't have to be a standout drummer in new metal. Like I was just talking about this the other day with a friend of mine, like screamo was such an interesting genre because, um, the, every, every record label decided that you had to have an absolute pistol of a drummer. If you wanted to be a screamo band and like every other band, every other like musical genre, it's not so like obviously metal, have amazing drummers, but like for whatever reason, there were so many screamo bands where you'd see them live and like the other four dudes all looked like you would expect screamo dudes to look like. And then the drummer would be like six years older and like clearly didn't care about <laughs> anything. Like wouldn't even really be like rocking out to the songs. They were just so smooth and steady and great players. What for whatever reason, Screamo, we decided, hey, we got to have a top level drummer or this band's not going to work. New Metal did not require that, even though Limp Bizkit had one. John Otto's an unbelievably good drummer. But David, there's nothing about his playing where you're like, okay, we have to keep him in this band. Like, it just, there's just nothing. And it was really funny reading that Rolling Stone article. There was a section where Ross Robinson was talking about, he's like, it's like, I thought David's drumming was really critical to our success because he followed the vocals. They're like, he was like, you know, he would lock in on what Jonathan was doing and would play along to the vocals. And so it gave corn a different sound. And I was like, well, first of all, that's just simply not true. <laughs> you, you're, you just can't play drums along to vocals. Just doesn't, that just isn't true. Second of all, if he was playing to the vocals, it's because playing to Fieldy was impossible because right. Fieldy's doing shit that makes no sense. Like <laughs> usually a rhythm section is a rhythm section. Fieldy had no rhythm whatsoever. Like we said, he just was hitting the guitar and hoping for the best. Yeah, I love it. So you're not, you're, yeah, of course it's fine, but you're <laughs> just as a drummer, you have nothing. So he was like, I mean, he was getting into the pocket of these songs, but it was way more based on the guitar riffs to say like, oh man, he really, he just followed the vocals and that's what made him so special. It's like, no, fuck off. That doesn't even make sense. What are you talking about? Anyone can play David's parts on any of the albums. There's nothing special about him as a drummer. So for him to be like, I made corn and I'm the guy. I mean, it's just hilarious. Well, that was me. another interesting thing on the uh, interview I listened to with him today was the the dude that's interviewing was like, man, brother, you, you, uh, you know, you you had two restaurants. You were a model. Is like, are you just a guy with a mind for the business? And he was like, yeah, yeah. You know, when we got our first record deal offers, I was the one that picked which one we were going to do. And I was like, God, damn. like he just feels <laughs> pathetic, to, like in a weird way. Like maybe he was. Maybe they said, hey, David, you know. Which one of these record deals do you want to take? But I bet you they were all like they were saying, you are a guy in the band. Why not give your input? Not you're solely deciding which label we sign with. Yeah, right. I also like remember it's... 
A, a funny story about David is that, like, uh, I really, when I was 15, 16 years old, I, like, really cared about autographs. It was a very weird. I Well, I guess all kids do. You know, it's yeah, like a weird thing. It's a thing. kid, yeah. Totally, hundred percent. But like, I, I, I got Jonathan Davis's autograph, and I got. Oh, did he sign it? Hiv? Yeah, he said I have it. I think <laughs> I still have it downstairs. Yes, he he signed it. HIV. Amazing. And uh, I got Fieldies, and uh, incidentally, I gave Stephen Carpenter a cigarette, and he signed my pack of cigarettes. But I don't have it anymore. <laughs> um, That's awesome. But like, uh, but like, David. At one point, we were seeing him live. And David was walking into a place called Savage Tan, which was a tanning salon. <laughs> and because I saw him walking into his tanning salon, I was like, I don't want his fucking autograph. I don't give a shit. Because <laughs> <You know? laughs> I was just like some hillbilly kid. I was like, dudes don't tan. What's wrong with you, man? He had to look good in those wife beaters, baby. Uh, right. He just there was something. Maybe it was also everybody had good names. I, I John yeah. Davis isn't very cool, but Jonathan Davis is very cool. And he went yeah. by Jonathan, you know, and right. uh, monkey head fieldy. And then he was just David. It was just like, yeah. whatever. Dude. Uh, yeah. You just imagine them like introducing themselves like, hey, like, hey, I'm Jonathan. Hey, uh, fieldy. Hey, I'm head. Hey, I'm monkey. Uh, hey, I'm Dave. Well, the, oh, I, that was another thing I wanted to bring up about the interviews. So I'm listening to this interview, right? And they're all cutting up. They're having the best time. Felt so bad for the interviewer. Uh, it, like they were not respectful of the interviewer's time at all. And they did not give a shit about the interviewer. Is this a, rec a recent one or from around this time? Oh, this is uh, uh, this is a uh, family values tour time. Okay. So 98. So yeah. when they like launched family values, it, it was yeah. after the first tour. Right. Okay. And uh, he's asking them all these questions and then asking them to rephrase the question and answer, which I hate when people do. Uh, Cause we've had to do stuff like this, but yeah. I actually respect the person that's doing the interview and I like do what they ask me to do. <laughs> and I answer yeah, the course. questions in a respectful way because I'm not an asshole. And they <laughs> kind of wouldn't do that. But there was this part where they were all. So they asked, what was the coolest part of this tour? And everybody in the band, you know, got, starts talking. Oh, you know, man. We there was this night. It was Halloween night. We all dressed like hair metal guys, and, and we like did a hair metal thing, and it was so fun. And we did all the moves and the solos and stuff like that. It was like the best night. And while they're talking, not even after they're talking, they're all talking at the same time about it. And David is sitting sort of in the front, and he's going like this. I thought it was really neat when when we got to perform Children of the Corn with Ice Cube. And it was just like, you don't, you don't have anything to do with these people. <laughs> like, they don't even like you. You're, like, fucking talking about one thing. Everybody else had, like, this great moment, and you're... <laughs> Like, you had like, a actually no. This was you had a this was cooler, great, great moment than everybody else. That should show you something about yourself, David. <laughs> he was he was in NWA, and um, I don't know if you guys know that, but like it was they were like a pretty big uh, rap group, and like um, it's cool. Yeah, and unfortunately, <laughs> what they do talk about recording with Ice Cube and and uh, and and Fieldy feels comfortable dropping <laughs> the end bomb, but oh, good. <laughs> 
course, of course he does. I mean, like that, that is the least surprising news to me. <laughs> it was the you respectful could- way of saying it, but it was still kind of like, God damn, dude, come on. You're not allowed to say that. <laughs> but he would like, I, I think that Fieldy thinks that he can. Like, I think that he's like, I legitimately think he's thought about it and been like, it's fine if I say this. Like, Ice, well, Ice Cube's my friend. It's cool. It's also funny because the interviewer was like, was there any racial tension at this thing? And they're like, <laughs> no, shut up. No, they love us. If they hated white people, they want to have us there. And I was like, okay, guys. <laughs> this is all so weird to me. Just no, it was very, cool. It was just me and a bunch of my ends hanging out. Just like <laughs> racial tension. What are you talking about? <laughs> I Well, he said, I'm going to be clear. He said uh, they were. They got drunk. He said, they got me all drunk on Hennessy and they got me all high. And then they started saying this ends crazy. But he like said it. He was referring to himself. I think he felt like it was OK. But again, right. this is the band that also sang Faget, where they also felt OK just yelling that. Yeah. And they they still feel OK. saying. Yeah, it. it's, so. uh, y- you know, it's problematic. Uh, that's the guys, you know, Hey, I'm a problematic guy too. I just, <laughs> that's the kind of guy I am. I I'm doing a show on shock jocks. I'm, I'm fine with problematic. I just, I find them to be like, it's weird. I, I have always wanted to meet them like my whole life and just tell them like, ha, you know, you really helped me through some dark times, even though I don't think they like really helped me through any dark times. I, I don't think I've ever had any truly dark times right. <laughs> where I was listening to corn. <laughs> Likewise, <laughs> like, no one has. And maybe my darkest times, I probably listened to OK Computer or the Mars Volta. Those were those were kind of my dark <laughs> time stuff. Sure. But uh, you guys, you know, I would still tell them that they helped me through dark times, of course. But now after watching like a few interviews and listening to them and also just listening to the f- first album, uh, I don't think I want to meet the guys, man. <laughs> I would rather just like have in my mind that they're extremely cool guys because like, you know, I got a picture of my phone of Jonathan Davis holding pickle Rick in his hand. And it's just, I can't, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want them to ruin this for me. No, that's fair. They definitely seem like the type of guys that like, if you know them, they're probably fun to be around and they're like, cool. But if you don't know them, they think you're a piece of shit. Yeah, they're probably grading as hell. I did find out that House of Pain and Biohazard tra- treated them poorly. Yeah, I, on I that saw tour that too, yeah. in that article. And guess who says that? David, the of guy course. that nobody likes is probably just because. They probably yeah, they just thought he treated was a him or bad. something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they, they probably, Everyone probably, treated him badly, and he's like, "Wow, they were really mean to me." Why is every band we play with mean to me? They, they probably they probably were like nice to everybody else in the band, but he would come in the room and they'd be like, "Get the fuck out of here, man! It's stupid." <laughs> it I got, hate you. It got so bad for David that he started to think that Faget was about him. Yeah, <laughs> it was like propagated in his own. He's like, I'm getting bullied a lot. This is actually I'm really feeling this when we play it. He deserves <laughs> it, though. That's my feeling. No, I agree. Uh, I think uh, we're, we're pretty much here at the end and, and we finish off every episode with a, with a challenge. And so last month, I, I have to say we, we did significant other and we did a Matt Pinfield rant challenge and the fans voted and they said that you won the rant challenge. Uh, uh, so come on guys congratulations brian i hey listen i have to give it up the fans voted it is what it is 
Um, but and this month, I think I they think, just like my funny, like the the affected voice I put on. You think that's what it was? Where it was like, listen up, brothers. You know? Yeah, I think they liked that you called yourself the B man. I think people were really into that as well. Yeah, um, I just add, but the the content of what I said was horrendous. It was like <laughs> my the the worst improv job of all time. It's all good, baby. You have a chance to redeem yourself, even oh, though you won. Even though you won. No, I'm gonna win two in a row. Our child, I. You know what? You probably will. Our challenge this month is uh, ball tongue. We've we've talked about it. The song Jonathan Davis makes his first appearance scatting. Uh, most of the lyrics in the song are indecipherable. And so this month is the ball tongue challenge. You and I, uh, we have to scat. <laughs> is it okay? I already, I already hate it. I already hate myself. I haven't even done it yet. And I, but I, hate I, it. I have to do it. My friend yeah. used to make me do it back in the day. Cause yeah, I was no, so I'll, good at it. So I'll, I'm, I'll, 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 I'll do it. Can I do twist or should I do, do, what, uh, do whatever you want? Okay. You can go first. I'll let you go first. You want me to go first? Oh, my God. Why not? You're the host. You know, you do the oh, hosting I'm, duties. I'm the host. We're both first. hosts. I right. Mean, yeah, but you do the, the important work. So I think you should go oh, first. Oh, fuck. Okay. So I actually thought about this. I, w- I was going to do... It's going to be very short, but I'm going to do ball tongue, but about your podcast. Street Fight Radio. Okay. Okay. So you ready? You ready for this? This is so embarrassing. Yeah, it's, ele- it's eleven thirty-five p.m. as well. It's two so, thirty-eight in the morning. Yeah. for me. <laughs> for so. yeah, so even worse for you. We're sitting in our house. We're about to scat. Okay, here we go. <clears throat> Fuck! I hate myself so much. Okay, I just have to commit. I just have to commit. I have to commit and think it. This is cool. Jonathan Davis thought it was cool when he did it. So I have to think it was cool. Okay, here we go. Honestly, it was cool. <laughs> yeah, it's still pretty cool. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Street fight, Brett and Brian. A street fight, Anarchist Radio. Oh, okay, that yeah. I'm gonna do twist okay. real quick because yeah, I've sure. I've done that. I'm gonna do a few seconds of twist. I'm not okay. gonna do the whole thing. Okay? okay. Yeah. Oh, this is it's really rough when you're the one doing it. it I I, that's you. what I'm telling you. It didn't feel <clears throat> good. I like I can do. I used to do the freak on a lead. They're like boom. Not the, you know, you used to do that too. I do that know. on stage. That's my character. Me and Brett do that as a karaoke song. <laughs> Hell yeah. Every time we that. do karaoke, me and Brett do Freak on a Leash <laughs> <That's> together. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's stupid. It's the dumbest looking thing you've ever seen. Oh, I okay. believe it because I feel so. I know I'm in the safety, I'm in the comfort of my own home, and I hated that. Okay. So. <laughs> Here I go. Here I go. Oh, God. Uh, you not do right, not do right, not do that's it i'm not doing any more i mean that, that was like good the beginning and it sounded just like twist though. yeah you have a good you have a good voice for the scatting i don't know if i'm i'm, I'm too my life was too good maybe i think that's yeah. what it is i just had a comfortable my life was too comfortable and i don't i can't reach i can't reach there you, you know? haven't done all the stuff to damage your voice like i have either yeah that's like also smoked cigarettes and no, weed and true fucking I don't drink anything except for seltzer water. Uh, oh yeah, no, that's true. I, mean, I drink a lot of seltzer myself. But, oh, I know uh, you're a big fan. You're yeah, big seltzer guy. Listen, big seltzer guy. Blocked party. I know. I know you do. I know you do. And when we uh, when we hang out in uh, in in Seattle, we'll uh, we'll enjoy a few bevs. 
a couple seltzer boys. A couple seltzer boys hanging out. It's going to be great. Uh, We kind of announced it, but kind of haven't yet because we don't have a poster yet. But yeah, that's fine. Well, you know, at some point it's going to come out because like, but we're going to Texas too. It's like one of those fucking things, you know, where it's like, I have two tours coming up. I don't know which one to tell people to go to, but I want people to go to all of them. People are yeah. going to go. People are going to go to all of them, I think. And we're going to do I mean, this this episode comes out in like, I don't know, seven days, six days, five days with well, sometime beginning of October sometime. So who knows? Maybe there'll be more information. Maybe there won't. But we'll just say there's a reason that you and I will be hanging out in Seattle. Yeah. And we'll be annou- we'll be announcing those reasons soon. All right. Uh, thank you guys for tuning into the show. Uh, we love you. You're very sweet. Uh, again, we we were ve- both very surprised at how many of you listened to the first episode, and that's lovely. And if you could all tell your friends, uh, we would appreciate it greatly. You can also rate and review the show on iTunes. That really helps us uh, to get the word out. And you can follow us on Twitter at the P- underscore POD cast. Is that? No, it's a POD underscore cast. Fuck, I don't even know the Twitter to our own show. How's that? Yeah, uh, it's P-O-D, uh, the P-O- P-O-D, yeah, P-O-D underscore K-A-S-T. K-A-S-T. Yeah. That's what I thought. And yes, it's podcast is spelt with a K, just like this band corn. Uh, before we sign off, Brian, we do need to rate this album corn self-titled album. And we are going to once again, use the tweet defense rating system. So this is if, if we were to tweet about how good corn self-titled album is like, for example, I tweeted you know, my thoughts that there's not a bad song on the whole album and someone disagreed with me. How many tweets would you do to defend this album's honor? Uh, 15. I Whoa. think I'm going with 15. I would fight this one. This is what you I would said fight last for. month that you would go three on significant other. And that that was like a big number for you. So 15 no. is like, but we're going is, deep. We're, we're talking about like some deadly serious shit. When we talk about this album, the significant other, yes, it was an important album, but it didn't, it doesn't carry the same emotional weight as this album did to me. That's fair. No, I respect that. Um, I think for me, I would say it's less impactful for me. Cause you had, you know, you tweeted even today that like corn was like the, the first band you were there from the beginning. And I feel that way with like Alexis on fire Um, and you know, other, other kind of screamo bands that I was sort of there from the start. And I feel like I would agree that that would be like a 15 tweeter where I'd be like, yes, but because I wasn't there from the beginning, I do like this album, but I also could totally see almost any argument that anyone would have for its flaws. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like I said, if they, if they remastered this fucking thing, it would be, I mean, I would, I would fight for the rest of my life to, to defend this thing. Fair, fair. Uh, so for me, I, I'll say I'll, I'll go five. I think I would go five, which is what I said for significant other, but I said seven if they were coming after rearranged. And I feel the same way about this album. I think it's got a lot of important songs on it and it's obviously kind of what started the new metal genre. Um, so I'll go, I'll go five on this one too. I would go five deep to defend corns corn. Uh, so yeah, that's where we're at. We both obviously care about it a great deal. We're going to be back next month with Deftones around the fur. Uh, and I'm excited for that one because I think Deftones are such an interesting band in this whole genre. And, uh, I, I can't wait to tackle them. Yeah. Less stupid too. Like than the other guy. I mean, way I haven't less. listened to any interviews yet, but you know, maybe there's I mean, smarter ones. I think I'm not, I'll say this. I don't know about Steph. Not sure Steph is maybe the brightest, but Chino, Chino, I've got some hopes for, and I'm pretty sure Abe too, pretty, pretty sharp dude. So 
They don't have any we'll slurs in any of their songs. It's really incredible. Actually, it's really that nice. They were able to not do that. Pretty refreshing. You have to, <laughs> you have to admit in 1995, one full year after, well, around the first 97, but adrenaline was 95, one full year after uh, the self-titled corn Chino was like, you know what? I can do an album without saying that. Yeah. I don't need to, I don't need to use these, <laughs> this language. I love it. Uh, well, uh, thanks everybody again for listening. And, uh, we hope that this makes you listen to more new metal and we'll see you back here next month.